All right, should, we, should I wait a few minutes, Rabbi? Should you want me to begin? I'll give it a, I'll give it a couple minutes. Okay. Hey, Sonny, how you doing? What's up, Sonny? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. I miss learning with you. It's been too long. I've, I've been in Israel. What can I say? Wow. Oh, I forgot. How was that? Amazing. Cut short, but amazing. Wow. All right. Bezat Hashem, you'll, uh, you'll get your way back there when, when the time is right. Bezat Hashem. Where, where, which school were you in? Eretz Hatzvi. Eretz Hatzvi, that's a great place. With Joey Harari, you still teaching there? Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. He's really the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really good. All right, so Rabbi, should we begin? Go for it. Okay. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Uh, tonight, as promised, we're going to be discussing... Hi, Uncle Victor. How are you? We're going to be discussing... Michael, uh, how are you? Baruch Haba. This is great. I get to learn all my favorite people. So, oh, good. I'm glad to see. I'm glad to see you. <laughs> yeah, this is great. So, did Sam join it? Did Sam uh, join join in? I think. Let's see. Sam did not yet, but hopefully soon. Let's see. You can send him the link if you want. I um, did send it to him. Oh, all right. So, we'll give him what's a couple the, minutes. What's the number to dial in? Uh, I don't think it's a specific number. It's a link. Oh. Let's see. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell my dad to send you the link if you want. No, uh, I got it. Oh, you got I'm it. Not... Okay, great. All right. So we'll begin by just stating the obvious. We all know on Pesach, one of the biggest mitzvot that we have is to eat, eat, eat matzah specifically. And we're not allowed to eat hametz. From a very young age, everybody knows this is the biggest deal in the world. We have to eat matzah and refrain from eating hametz. Hametz, you might not know is basically just seor. Seor means it's yeast. It's made out of a certain uh, organism. It's a fungus. The fungus causes the dough to rise. That's just the basic science of it. So we just see here basic, you know, from the Pesukim and Yetziat Mitzrayim, Bnei Yisrael, what does it say? When Bnei Yisrael were leaving Egypt, you could imagine them taking their, their stuff with them on their backs, and they, they cooked the batsek, which is the I should assume it's time that they took out of Egypt. Got matzot kilo hametz. Specifically, they did not eat hametz. They did not eat it as something that was risen. Ki goreshum mitzrayim, because they were they were chased out of Egypt. Veloyach kelulet mahmeya. They were they didn't have time to pause to allow their dough to rise. Everybody knows this famous story. Vegam sedalo asulahen. They didn't even have time to bring provisions for themselves. So just on a very basic level. What this is telling us is why we eat matzah on Pesach. What it doesn't answer for us, and here's the key, it does not answer why we're not allowed to eat hametz. All right, so if I show this to you, I completely understand 
Why, it's a very nice thing to eat matzah. We eat matzah because my great-great-great-great-grandfather did the same thing when he was running out of Egypt. But that doesn't explain why eating bread that has risen is not allowed. It seems to be that there's something more to the story. And hopefully this class will give you a, an opportunity to look at that question of what's so bad about eating hametz and what's so good about eating matzah on Pesach. That's really our focus here. So just to give you uh, one perspective on this, we're going to try to take as many perspectives as possible. Parashat Vayikra, we just read it this past week. It says as follows. It says, All the all the types of, certain type of korban that you bring to God from made out of flour. It's not allowed to be made out of hametz. Right? So we're already seeing that there's something about hametz that's not just to do with Egypt. There's something that hametz only bring on their korbanot. They would only bring hametz. They never ever brought matzah. And also, they would only bring things that were honey glazed. They said, oh, it's delicious. You know, you put the honey glaze on the animal. That's the best way to bring a korban. They would only bring korbanot in this way, with hametz and with divash. So the Harambam says, God had an interest. He's saying, you know what? B'nai Israel right now, they have this culture of Egypt in their heads. And God is saying, I want to bring them out of the culture of Egypt. So it's what's called a polemic. A polemic is a way of making a separation between two cultures. So to try to say, B'nai Israel, you know, Rabbi Sachs says as follows. He says, it was very easy to get Israel out of Egypt. But it was a lot more difficult to get, the, to eat, to get Egypt out of Israel. What does that mean? It was very difficult to take out the culture that we imbibed in our years in Egypt. It was very difficult to take that out of us. So that's going to be what we're going to really focus on now. And Harambam only guessed this. He didn't have any evidence for this. But amazingly, he was right. We see all this evidence from, and this is based on my own research, and we're going to see some stuff from Rabbi Alex Israel as well, that reveals that the Egyptian culture was so much centered around Hametz and and Devash that it explains exactly as Hanambam guessed a thousand years ago. I think that's really a remarkable thing for somebody to be able to just guess something and then it proves to be true based on archaeology, right? So we have a lot of evidence of bread baking and the use of hametz in ancient Egypt, right? The Egyptians, according to my research, they loved sweet things. Who doesn't like sweet things, right? And they loved using flour to make different kinds of cakes, Right? And they, they didn't have any sugar in those days. So what was the only thing that they were really know to, knew how to use? They knew how to use honey, date honey and fruit juice. That, that would sweeten the dough for them. And we even have depictions. If you look in the tomb, you go inside the tomb of, the, of uh, Ramses III, and you see depictions on the wall of Your bread baking. Michael. Yes. Yeah. Right? So we, we see uh, depictions of bread baking uh, in his tomb. And who is Ramses III? Do you know who Ramses II was? Ramses II was the parol of Mitzrayim. So we have evidence, amazingly, of the next king in his tomb. We see how central the art of bread making was, which means that it was probably the same thing in the king before him, that there's something about Egyptian culture being centered around this art of baking bread and using divash. Right? Beyond that, it wasn't just part of their culture. There was something religious specifically about using honey and yeast for the Egyptians, right? We found honey in the pyramids, still edible honey. You know, honey does not spoil. Honey, you could eat it right now. If you go to Egypt and you go into their, their pyramids, you could find honey. 
and you could eat that honey. It's still fresh and it's still good, which is to me mind boggling. You could eat ancient honey, right? And honey was used as a gift to the gods, right? And we even, they did an analysis. This is an amazing thing. My brother-in-law, Ellie, is an orthodontist, if anybody needs a good one, right? They did an analysis of the dentition of the teeth of the Egyptian mummies. And based on their analysis of the teeth of the Egyptian mummies, they know it's a fact that they had a diet rich in hametz because you didn't get the kind of cavities that they would get unless you were eating hametz. And I think that's just an amazing thing. Right, so all of this is just interesting to note that the Egyptians were the ones to perfect this art of fermentation and not just fermentation, beer making. You need yeast, you need hametz in order to make beer. The Sumerians were the ones who invented beer making, but the Egyptians perfected it. So what that means is in the, in the mind of any ancient Israelite, what is beer, right? Beer is the thing that represents how great and mighty the Egyptian empire is. The Egyptian empire is the one that has perfected the art of beer making, bread making, and using sweeteners in their foods, right? And there's even an ancient Egyptian myth that says as follows. It says, beer was among the many things, many gifts of the gods granted to humanity in the early days of the world right? So much so that according to the myth, their god named Osiris instructed the Egyptians in the craft of brewing beer. So Hashem looks at this. Hashem says, wow, the Egyptians built so much of their culture and not just their culture, their religious sentiment around this stuff. So Hashem is going to say, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to get B'nai Israel out of that mindset, out of the mindset of the Egyptian culture and the Egyptian cultic religious process, right? That's the key here. Um, and then finally, beer was offered as a gift to the gods. Fermentation is a symbol, therefore, like we said, of the Egyptian culture, and not just that, but of the materialism and the decadence of the society. When you have a, a society like Egypt, all these symbols of what they represent and what they stand for are going to be so important for, for B'nai Israel in terms of the way they think about who Egypt is. So now we're going to, now that we established really what you know, Egypt was thinking in terms of their culture and this, this art of beer making and all that stuff. Now we're going to kind of shift gears. We're going to move away just from the archaeology. We're going to bring it towards really more of a psychology standpoint. All right. So according to the Gemara in Masechet Berachot, there's a very interesting quote here from Rabbi Alexandri. He says um, as follows. He says, Rabbi Alexandri would yes, end his daily prayers every day with the following yes. supplication. He would make a tefillah. He would say, Master of the universe, you know full well that it is our desire to act according to your will. But what prevents us from doing so? What is it that stops us from serving you, Hashem? And he answers as follows. He says, the thing that stops us from serving God is the yeast and the dough. What does that mean? Well, that means that according to Rabbi Alexandri, the Yetzir Hara is symbolized by the Hamet. And I think that's actually a very brilliant reading because he's saying that the Hamet is, is kind of, it's, it's like the Ga'ava of the bread. The bread is being risen. It's, it makes it think that it's, oh, look how great I am. I'm a finished product. I'm something that represents materialism. It represents the inflammatory passions that lurk within us and the powerful drives. So according to Rabbi Alexandri, it's just a, a way of looking at Hamet as part of human psychology. So that's more of a midrashic explanation of what hametz represents. But now, this, the next couple, I think, are really more 
Peshat oriented. They represent really, what does Hametz mean just from a strict letter of the law point of view? Right, so according to the next thing, Hametz really is a symbol, not just of Ga'ava, it's, it's actually a positive thing. Let's stop looking at Hametz as something evil. Hametz is a symbol of the human initiative. It represents something about the way that humanity is capable, capable of doing things. Right? Do you know that? Does anybody know the famous story where Rabbi Akiva was confronted by a famous Roman general? And the Roman general said, Rabbi Akiva, I want to ask you a question. What's better? What's preferable? This, uh, this pile of, you know, uh, I think he says a pile of wheat or this dough or this bread. And Rabbi Akiva says the bread. And, you know, what, what was the, the, the Roman guy was trying to trick him? He was trying to trick him and say, look, you know, you're going to tell me that, that wheat is better than bread? Yeah, which one did God create? God created the wheat. He made the bread. But that's the beauty and that's the, the brilliance of it. Rabbi Akiva said, no. God doesn't want us to just arrive in the world and leave the world the way it is. We don't believe in that. We believe Hashem put us here in an unfinished world, in an imperfect world, in a world that He wants us to fix and He wants us to make better. And that's the beauty of bread. Bread represents a partnership. It's a partnership between God creating the, the building blocks of it, right, which is the wheat and humanity creating the, the other thing, which is specifically the, the bread out of the wheat, right? So there's something really brilliant about all of that. Uh, I'm just, uh, I think somebody's microphone is on, so I hope you don't mind if I, if I mute all of you, um, right? So, so I think that's a really a brilliant thing. If you have, by the way, if you have uh, any comments or questions throughout all of this, please feel free to unmute yourself and to, uh, you know, you can even click on the, on, the, um, on the space bar just to temporarily, uh, Unmute yourself. Yeah, please. I'm welcoming any questions at any point. Right. So Hametz, like we said, represents the human initiative. So the Netziv, also known as the Hamek Davad, he says as follows, and this is really his idea. He says Hametz is an expression of human interference in nature. So it's a good thing. It's it's a good thing that Hashem wants us to do. He wants us to fix the world. But does anybody know of a day that we're not supposed to be fixing the world? Right? Call it out if you know. What's the day we're not supposed to be fixing the world? Shabbat. Shabbat, exactly. Shabbat is the day where we sit back and we just look at the world as it is. And we, we appreciate the world for what it is, for the world that Hashem created, and for our work that we've been doing. And that's, there's a beauty to that. There's a beauty in just taking a day every once in a while and just appreciating what we did. Stop trying to fix and constantly change everything. Just sit back once in a while and appreciate things. I think, by the way, during coronavirus, there's no greater lesson for us to learn, right? We're sitting here now at homes, and all we have to, to look at, most of us, is just the things that we've done or the things that we're looking forward to doing. But I think there's really a beauty to that. Rabbi Hittery mentioned it uh, in a previous class, that there's almost a Shabbat feeling to everything that we're going through right now. It's almost like Yom Tov. It's like an extended Shabbat. We get to just sit here, work on our spiritual selves, learn Torah, do whatever we really please, if there was no such thing as daily work, which there currently is, it's not for a lot of us. So I think that's so important just to connect Pesach, which we're coming to right now. Pesach might represent that. It might represent that Hametz, because it represents human interference in nature, Matzah, therefore, could be viewed as an expression of the world controlled exclusively by, by God. 
So instead of us trying to change the way that, Hamid, that matzah is, once a year, God says, you know what? Just leave the matzah as it is. I want you, this is, you know, throughout the year, you're more than welcome to change the world, to fix the world. During Pesach, I want you to just sit back and eat matzah and appreciate the world as it was just created by me and as it was controlled by me. And of course, we know that's really one of the fundamental mes- messages of Yetziad Mitzrayim, but we'll get to that in a minute. Right? So beyond that, you know, we, we mentioned earlier about the, the Egyptians. They used yeast and the art of fermentation. Really, it was a technological device. And it was a device that was a breakthrough in the art of food preparation. Right? And, and therefore, you know, for us to, to bring it back to now to the, the first source, we said that you're not allowed to have any of this hametz in the temple, a reason could be exactly in line with what Hamik Dabad is saying, that the temple is God's domain, right? And I mentioned in my, in my previous class and in a lot of previous classes, Rabbi Solomon Di Sassoon has this concept of the non-ego. And he talks about the Mishkan as this center of God's you know, presence and, and the place where we are supposed to get to in terms of our meditation. He says, amazingly, that the Mishkan is not just a physical blueprint, it's also a spiritual blueprint in terms of meditation. Right? So just to give you a very brief rundown of that, because we have a little bit of time, you have Kirubim separating the outermost portion from the, from the Kodesh of the Mishkan. And then you have Kirubim again, going from the Kodesh to the Kodesh HaKodashim. Kirubim are these angelic figures, by the way. And then finally, you have these angelic figures also on the top of the Aron. So the question is, well, I don't understand. God is commanding us not to have idolatry, not to have idolatry. And then all of a sudden, I keep seeing this concept of these cherubs, these angelic figures. It's like the most ridiculous thing. How is God allowing these idols in the center of the holiest place? And the answer is it's supposed to be there for the question that you're going to ask. It's supposed to bother you. And it's supposed to say, okay, where, do, where is the first place and the other main place in the Torah that I see? Kirubim. And that is specifically in Gan Eden, Gan Eden, perfectly in Gan Eden, right? And that's a perfect answer. Now, why is that so important? Because it's a way of telling us this is where you want to get back to. If you want to return to the garden, if you want to return to that Lahat Amitapechet, which is the flaming, fiery, spinning sword, right? That's separating us from getting back to where we want to be, right? We're, all of us, we find ourselves in the midst of coronavirus. We're all, you know, we're all hurting inside a lot of us we're, we're we're worrying we're not at ease we're not at peace inside and i think what the torah is saying getting back to the garden of eden represents finding that that place of inner peace again it's returning to the garden it's it's returning to that place of equanimity inside your mind so what the torah is saying is that the way to do that is by completely understanding what the mishkan represents and every layer of the mishkan represents a new concept that once you, you kind of pass that level, you move to the next level and then the next level. And finally, you approach the presence of God. And this is all through meditation, according to Rabbi Sassoon. Of course, it's way beyond my pay grade. You know, I, I have no idea really the depths of, of the human capacity. You know, this, it's so deep. Who could really speak to that? You know, I have many years, hopefully ahead of me of meditation where I could work on understanding this, but I'm far from con- really completely understanding it. But just one you know, ounce of understanding might be that one day a year on Yom Kippur, we would bring our fire of the Ketoret, and it would mix with the fire of God's 
Oh, sorry, we were mixed with the, with the smoke of God's cloud. And it's almost like when you meditate, you realize that your ego and your brain really is so tiny and so small. It's not really there. And you meditate out of your head, and it's, it's kind of a good way of putting yourself at ease, realizing I'm not going to be here forever. And really, my, my soul is a piece of God. And every time I meditate, I come back to that realization. You know what? I'm worrying about this business deal. I'm worrying about coronavirus. I'm worrying about this next test, test that I have to take. Let me just recenter myself. Let me come back to the real fundamental knowledge that really at the end of the day, God is the one at the center of all this. I'm just on a planet spinning in the middle of space. All right, so the temple is supposed to represent God's domain. It's supposed to represent the non-ego, right? God's presence begins where my ego ends in a sense. And like we mentioned a second ago, that's exactly the point of Pesach. Pesach is supposed to be the, day, the, the time of year where we remember Yitziat Mitzrayim. Yitziat Mitzrayim was the time when we allowed God, you know, we said, God, I'm going to give up control. There's certain things, like I mentioned last night, like coronavirus, we cannot control. We cannot control all the things that happen to us in life. I'm, listen, I'm the first guy to tell you, take control of the things that you can in life. Go be a doer. Go out there and, and go, you know, go succeed in whatever you're trying to succeed in. But you got to face the fact. There's going to be things in life that just completely blow you off your feet, and you're not going to be able to control them. Pesach is supposed to teach you that exact message. All right, this is, just look at this, this uh, phrase here, this quote here from Yetziat Mitzrayim, right, from the splitting of the sea. Stand and behold the salvation of God. That is going to do for you today. That which you've seen in Egypt, you're not going to see the Egyptians like this ever again. I'm completely destroying them for you, says God. God is the one fighting this battle. We have our battles to fight, no doubt. But there are battles that God alone is fighting for us. You know, and that's what we should take you know, to heart during coronavirus. I cannot control this plague that's going on, whatever you want to call it. I can't control it. What I can control is my response. What I can't control is how I grow from it. What I can control is the person I become as a result of this. And now because of this, I'm going to love my, the, the people around me even more. I'm going to go and be nice to the medical care workers even more. I'm going to be more of a blessing to those around me because of what I'm experiencing. And it's, it's that inner work that you do as a result of the knowledge of what you can't control that really it, it changes the whole game. I got into such a routine before coronavirus and then coronavirus completely knocked off my routine. And I'm really grateful for that because it really forced me out of my head and it forced me to go be a better person, to reconnect with my friends, reconnect with my family. And you know what? I'm going to get back to my studying that I need to do, but it's, it's always going to be there. But my friends and my loved ones are not always going to be there. All right. So that's just an important thing to keep in mind. So that's the message of Pesach. And that's, you know, by not inserting hametz, just to get back to our thesis here, by not inserting hametz into the, the equation, it's, it's literally symbolizing exactly this point. Let's not insert our control and our manipulation of reality into this. Because there are th certain things we can't control. Let's remember this time in history. Right? And look at the beautiful way. I just want to draw your attention to this quote from Yirmiyahu Anavi. He says so beautifully. Right, God commands Yirmiyahu, He says, go and cry out and call out in the, ear, in the ears of the people of Jerusalem, saying, 
says, I remember the kindness of your youth, says God. The days where you were like a bridegroom for me. You went after me in the desert in a land not sown. And this is supposed to paint for you a beautiful picture. You know, it's, it's saying the beginning of Jewish history is a love story. It's a love story between God and his people. It's saying, look, you know, we followed God. We were the bride. God was the groom. We put all our faith in God. That's what Pesach represents. It represents that time in human history where we took a leap. And I'm not saying we should always be taking leaps. But there are times when we just have to. We just got to put our faith in God, put our faith in life, put our faith in the fact that everything's going to be okay. Coronavirus will pass. We're going to be better people for it. And just to briefly mention, because we do have time, what's the concept of Sukkot, right? Let me ask you a question. What's the diametric opposite point on the calendar from Pesach? Anybody know? Hint. Right here. Sukkot, right? Of course. Six months exactly. later. There's no, there's no further point on the calendar from Pesach than Sukkot. And yet, they're both commemorating the exact same time, right? What's the historical event? Anybody know what the historical event that Sukkot is remembering, commemorating? Perfect, right? It says, Now, Isaac, I'll be very impressed if you get this. What is the first place that we go to after we leave Egypt? Is it Sukkot? It is Sukkot, right? I'll give you the pasuk. Sukkot. Right? What is it? That's an unbelievable thing. Because I always thought, you know, that, oh, but Sukkot HaShavit B'nai Yisrael just means throughout that period of Yetziat Mitzrayim. During our years in the desert, we spent a lot of time in huts. That's what I used to think. But Rabbi Foreman points out really brilliantly, no, no, no. Basukot doesn't mean, oh, for those 40 years we dwelled in huts. Basukot means that night. Sukkot is commemorating that night where we left Egypt. And we went into Sukkot, the place, right? And what does it mean? What's Ra'meses? I'll give you another pasuk about Ra'meses, where we were leaving, right? Right? We built these granaries for Pharaoh. And one of the places was called Ra'meses. So the fact that we're leaving Ramses, we're leaving Ra'meses, we're going to Sukkot, is that not exactly what we're doing on the holiday of Sukkot? Right, the holiday of Sukkot, your house becomes a granary. Right, it's Hagasif, all the stuff that you're gaining. You're thinking to yourself, look how much control I have. Today's payday. Today's the day I get my check from the boss, and I'm really amazing today. Today I feel like, look at me, I'm in control, I'm the guy. And what does God say? He says, the same thing you did that night when you left Egypt, where you left the granary of Ramesses, and you went to the place called Sukkot, I want you to leave the granary of your home and go to Sukkot that you've built. And that's the most profound thing. And that's why we celebrated specifically at the diametric opposite point in the calendar, because that's when your house becomes a granary, but it's still representing and it's still commemorating that same night as Pesach. So I think you have to have a consciousness of the holiday of Sukkot in order to really appreciate Pesach for what it really is, right? So this is really just all about remembering it is Hashem who provides for the essence of our being. 
Hashem provides all of it for us. We're just the ones who are reaping the benefits. I didn't create myself. I didn't create my body. I didn't create my brain. God created all of that. I'm just using the tools that God gave me. So now during this time, I'm able to sit back and look and say, Hashem, you provided me with all this stuff. And in case I had any illusion, I was deluding myself all this time. I was thinking, you know what, Hashem, I'm the one who's doing this. I'm succeeding in medical school. I'm the one giving great classes, great speeches. And God says, no, you're not. You're just the one who's living out the tools that I gave you. Don't forget where it came from. Take that time to introspect. Take the time of Pesach to realize, you know what? Don't use, don't use any hamets. Only use matzah. Only focus on the things that I gave you. And then later on in the year, you could focus on the tools that you built to partner with me in creating the world. All right, and finally, we're going to shift gears now. The last point of view that I want to analyze, and then we'll open it up for questions, is that of Harav Yoel Binun. Harav Yoel Binun is a, a great rabbi in the Gush Etzion in Israel, really a brilliant man. And he says something a little bit different. He says, Hametz doesn't really represent this concept of the human initiative per se. It might also represent the fulfillment of a goal. Does anybody know of a time during the year, I'll be very impressed, when is it a mitzvah to eat hametz? Anybody know? Who can tell me? When is it a mitzvah to eat hametz? Well, Shabbat, right, Fred? Uh, that, that's a, that's a, a good one. I th- I'm going for more of a Torah one, that's, but that's true. What does the Torah say? Shavuot. Shavuot. And Shavuot, it's a mitzvah to eat what's called shete alechem. You're supposed to eat the two pieces of bread, right? So you start off on, on Pesach with the unleavened bread, with the matzah. It's that which has not yet fulfilled its potential. And then what's in between Pesach and Shavuot? What's that process called? The Omer, right? What are we counting? We're counting the process of the Omer between Pesach and Shavuot. Well, the process is not really called the Omer. We bring Korban HaOmer on the second day of Pesach. And then we lead up to Shavuot. Right, so you start with the Hametz, and then you end, sorry, you start with the Matzah, and you end with the Hametz, Pesach to Shavuot, with counting the Omer in between. Right, so amazingly, not only that, what was the other thing that we, we were, it's a mitzvah to bring? When you get to Israel, Hashem says, bring Shetel Lechem and bring Bikurim. Bring the first fruits that you're reaping from the vineyards, from your, your gardens. I want you to bring that to me and bring it to the Kohen. Right? And does that not remind you of the Seor and the Devash that we're not allowed to bring on the, the Mizbeach? So maybe that means that this, there's something really fundamental going on here. It's that Pesach is not the end of the journey. Pesach is only the beginning of the journey. Right, so you begin the journey with Pesach. We are established as a nation. We leave Egypt. We're all excited. Right? And just to go on a brief point here, did you ever notice the amazing interconnections between the, the process of leaving Egypt and, and Kiryat Yamsuf and Ma'aseh Bereshit itself? Right, we see the Torah says, God used the cloud to light up the night. When you hear light and darkness, you think of Genesis, right? What was the next thing in Ma'asibirishi? The separation of waters, just like Kiryat Yamsuf, separation of waters. What's the next thing? You have the appearance of dry land. Same thing going on in Genesis. 
Hence the Midrash of the Hachamim, that there were fruit trees growing on the sides of the Yamsuf, right? Because that's the next logical step in Ma'aseh Bereshit. They didn't mean it literally. They meant it to make you notice, look, this is a new genesis for us. But that's just it. It's not the end of the goal. It's not the end of the process. It's really just the beginning. What represents the, the, the final destination for us? That's arrival at Eretz Yisrael. After seven cycles of seven, we get to the eighth cycle, the eighth week, and that's the Berit, right? We know that all throughout the Tanakh, throughout the Torah, eight represents the covenant. Eight represents the Berit. So we're really, that's the end of it. So the, the Torah is saying, I don't want you to lose the forest for the trees here. Yes, you left Egypt. Yes, you, you've gotten amazing freedom that you've never known before. But the question is, what are you going to do with that freedom? What are you going to do now that you began this amazing journey? Right? So you have to use that to appreciate the fact that we're going to culminate in arriving in the land of Israel, bringing the Bikurim on, on Shavuot. You know, after thousands of years of not having Israel, we're finally in Israel. But you can imagine the ancient Israelite who goes and he says, I'm testifying here that I've arrived in Israel. Right? And you could think of almost the Avot and Shamayim smiling down and saying, Hashem, you've fulfilled your promise to us. This is the most moving thing. Hashem promised Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, we are the fulfillment of that process. I spent my year in Israel. I was walking around listening to the, the Parshiot and Tanakh study about Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and I was moved to tears by this. I really was at times. Because I'm walking around. I'm, I said, this is crazy. I am the covenant. I am land and children. I'm the child in the land. And I feel like I am the culmination of thousands of years of crying and tears. And it's like one of these uh, medieval uh, Israeli poets said, it's like the tears of my ancestors became a river and brought me to where I am today. It's the most moving and beautiful thing. So Pesach is the beginning of the journey. That's what Matzah represents. And, and hametz that we're eating later on in the mitzvah is once you've arrived in Israel. Once you've received the Torah like we did on, on Shavuot, that's the end goal. Right? So don't mistake Pesach for the end goal. Freedom is great. But use that freedom and use that, you know, uh, that idea of, of, of sleeping in temporary dwellings like we do on Sukkot mm -hmm. to remember that our newfound freedom is really, like I wrote here, the beginning of the road to a relationship with the Almighty. So if you take Pesach in that way, it completely transforms the way you look at the holiday. No longer is Pesach just the end. Pesach is the beginning. It's the beginning of a love story, like Yirmiyahu would say. It's a love story between us and God. And it's the question of, are you going to be able to take this thing, like we said, it's a new ma'aseh bereshit. It's a genesis for the nation. It's a, it's a way of saying, you know, Hashem had so much faith in us. He gave us this freedom. He blessed us with all these tools that we have today. Thank God we have so much prosperity in our, in our community today. We have so much, you know, so much blessing that we didn't know for thousands of years. What are we going to do with that? Are we going to use that just to have hametz? Or are we just going to use that to, to think of it as the end goal? Or are we going to use it saying, no, we're still on this journey. We're on a journey to continuing tikkun olam, to continuing the betterment of society, the betterment of the world. Thank you very much for tuning in. And I would love to hear your questions, if anybody's got any. Hey, Michael, one thing. Yes. One of the complaints B'nai Israel had in Bamidbah, they said, we want to go back to the land flowing with honey, meaning Egypt. So we realized it wasn't totally off base. Egypt did have a lot of honey, wow. but I guess it was also a spiritual backsliding too. 
right? Absolutely. They want, yeah. I see that as, you know, regression. I, I, uh, it's, I, I'm very glad you brought that up. There's a lot of hints in the text that even after we left Egypt, we couldn't handle the freedom. Right, it says, Moshe had to literally move, it's a hefiel verb, Moshe had to like push B'nai Yisrael away from Yamsuf. Right, we didn't, we didn't want to have this freedom. We were still clinging to the old self. It's very easy to live a life as a slave. It's very easy to live a life where you're being told exactly what to do. You don't have any real freedom of thought. The real challenge in life and the difficulty is to lead a life of freedom. Right? And one other point, exactly like you're saying, it says that Bnei Yisrael found themselves Ben Elim or Ben Sinai. They found themselves, what's Elim? It's a place, but it also means gods, right? And they found themselves, at, and also on the other side is Sinai. Sinai represents monotheism. And what was the place that they were, they were in? It was called Sin, Samach Yod Nun. So they're in the center point, this liminal space, and they're between gods and Sinai. And they want it, they're not quite at Sinai, they're at Sin. And, and the job is to get to Sinites, to, to use the freedom we were given to really go that next extra mile and really establish that, that relationship with God. And thank God we have that opportunity now with everything that's going on in coronavirus. Any other comments, questions? Sam, my cousin, I'm so glad to see you here. Baruch <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you made thank it. Thank you. I'm so glad I made it. And listen, it was awesome. Truly, so very happy. impressive. Thank you very, very much. I, I want to learn more with you. Bezat Hashem, we're going to learn a lot. I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. Sam, Sam, let's go Yankees. <laughs> this season's not going to stop for another six months. What are you talking about? I know. About? <laughs> How are you? Tell that Tesh guy. Tell that Met fan. Let's go Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, fabulous class. Minor, minor point. Please. Um, <clears throat> so I think the word seor, um, it kind of reminds me, they, they used to use sourdough instead of yeast. Before they had yeast, they would put a piece of sour bread to make the other bread rise. Yes. So I think the word, I think the word uh, sourdough or sour comes from seor. I, I heard that. You know, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think I heard that last Pesach, so I'm glad you mentioned that. I think that's absolutely right. So you're right. It doesn't have to necessarily mean yeast itself. It's, it's uh, dough that was already had yeast inside of it. Really yeah. very good point right there. Did you guys appreciate, I want to know, did you appreciate all the, the, uh, the, the archaeology stuff? Do you think that's amazing that they were able to look at the dentition and the teeth? Yeah, think, that was awesome. Unbelievable. That's the coolest thing. You could look at somebody's teeth and you could say, wow, this was their diet. And just the fact that, that the Egyptian society was so built on this concept of hamets, and then for God to say, you know what, I'm going to take Egypt out of you. I took you out of Egypt. Now I'm going to take the, the culture of the Egyptians out of you. Not eating hametz is a tremendous polemic against everything that Egypt stood for. Right? So don't lose the forest for the trees. Don't just think, oh, it's just this bread I'm not allowed to eat. No, it represents a way of living and a society that has crumbled, a society that was steeped in avodah zarah and giloy arayot and everything that the Torah is telling us, the killing of the, of the baby boys. Right? So the Torah is telling us, our job as Am Yisrael is to build a society where we rep recognize the equality of all human beings. No matter what color they are, no matter what gender, whatever it may be, we're different. Am Yisrael is called upon to be a mamlechet kohanim begoy kadosh. Everybody's a kohen. Not just these Egyptian priests who are doing their own thing in their cultic worship, 
hiding it from all the people. Am Israel, God says, right? Everyone has to have tzitzit. Everyone has to have petil techelet on their tzitzit. Who else has a petil techelet? The Kohen Gadol has a petil techelet on his seats. Right? It's the same word, seats and tzitzit. So by God giving us a mitzvah of tzitzit, he's saying, what Rabbi Faud would call a horizontal society. Hashem is not interested in us relying on a shaman or a guru. Every one of us is our own guru. We're all our own shaman. We could all use our own potential. We have a direct conduit to God. Hashem gave all of us a brain and a mind to think critically. Don't follow anybody blindly. Go out there and establish what you believe to be true. Follow your own knowledge of what God believes to be, you know, of, of what God is telling us. And you know, I want to hear criticism. That's my favorite thing. I want to hear somebody go off and shamble me. I want to hear somebody screaming at me right now. Anybody have any... You know, anyone not like something I said? That's what I'm most interested in. Where was the Alex Israel part? Oh, I, I'm sorry. Alex Israel, I believe, brought the stuff from Harav Yoel Binun and the Ha'amik Davar. My mistake not mentioning that. And the Yetzir Hara stuff. He mentioned C, D, and E. Basically. And, and some other stuff from Rabbi David Foreman. But uh, Sonny, I didn't hear any yelling over there. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> Anybody else? Any comments or questions? All right, guys, really, it was a, a tremendous pleasure for me. I hope that this could enhance your understanding. When you're eating hametz now, you put it in your mouth, you're chewing it, you should think of all this symbolism. We just discussed five completely different, yet all logical and sound ways of relating to this beautiful mitzvah. And inshallah, it should enhance the way that you see this beautiful process, and I, I think it's not just true for Hametz. Every one of the mitzvot that we have could be analyzed with these different lenses. And there's so much beauty to it in every mitzvah. Like the Mishnah says, every mitzvah could be used as a way to connect to God, right? That, uh, right, what does he say? That, uh, oh, right, Yagdil Tarave Yadir. Right, Hidbalahem Tura Mitzvot, Shnei Amar. Hashem gave us so many mitzvot, so many different symbolisms, because any one of these mitzvot could be used in a meditative way to connect you to God. So this is just one tiny piece of that great corpus of what we could really be learning from, from everything. Joe Shami, how you doing? How you doing? I love the class. Thank you so much. I just tried to figure out how I could somehow plagiarize a little bit of it and use it for, <laughs> use it for my say tonight. Please plagiarize it, and uh, if you get criticized, don't mention my name. <laughs> <laughs> Only the positive. Exactly. I love it. I love it. You guys are awesome. Really, thank you for tuning I say, in. It took, it I took hope you enjoy. Out of Egypt, took, took, the, took the hamets out of us. That's right. You got to take the hamets out of yourself. That's, that's the job here on Pesach. Every year, you got to remind yourself. It's a great item. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you for, for sharing. Thank you. Great job, Michael. All right. Thank you very much. If anybody wants to watch it on a recording, I believe, Rabbi, you're, you're recording. You're right, Rabbi? You're Ricky? All right. I, I, uh, I know he's recording it, so uh, we're all good. All right. So I'm going to, uh, I guess I'll end it here. If you have any comments or questions, really let me know. Otherwise, we'll end it. And you could even text me or call me. My email is uh, michaelfranco95 at gmail.com. You got it. All right. I didn't know there were 94 other Michael Frankos. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They should be so lucky. I'll see you guys. Take care. Thanks, Michael. Take care. All the Thanks best. Again. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Sam, for coming. Really means so of much. Of course. No, I honestly, I had trouble in the beginning just like hearing you, but uh, but I was on. I heard the whole thing. It was really awesome. Wow. Okay, I'm so happy, and we're gonna to learn together more. I'm, I, I'm, I'm I, by the way, I would love that. Seriously, it's gonna be I'm, especially. I'm working on all these projects that that deal with, uh, you know, Tanakh. I'm working on a projects about about uh, Yehoshua and coming out of Israel, and uh, you know, so so obviously there's a lot of stuff that's that's fictionalized or um, you know interpreted from midrash, etc. But uh, I'd love your thoughts on it. You know, thank you. Thank you. I, this is 